Passion and sports are like soulmates. Angie Dundee, Ali's trainer, right next to me is saying it. You may hear him. Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! When you see them together, it's a special, almost magical moment. Athletes, they seek greatness, and in most cases, the utmost dedication and passion to be great is what's needed. This is not just an activity, this is their livelihood. Now think about having that slip away from you, because you can't perform anymore. Maybe your body fails you, but your passion for the sport that you love has not waned. You can't let it go. It's everything to you. It's your soulmate. We've seen it too many times in sports where players just can't walk away without losing that rush. It's something that many athletes think that it can't be replaced. We're also seeing younger athletes, some before they even hit their prime, retire. Not due to injury, but for personal reasons and fear of possible debilitation later in life. Think about someone you love and you care deeply for. The years that you've shared. And what seems like a blip, they're gone. That is what most athletes go through when they finally decide to walk away. What we wouldn't give to be with that loved one one last time. The sport that is a livelihood for these competitors is fleeting. They just want those moments. Sometimes, it's just too hard to say goodbye. Let me say this loud and clear. Does that make sense? Anybody out there wants to throw some questions at us? At MSW Sports. It glued everyone's eyes to the television. Sure. You know, I hear waste of money and things like that. I mean, it's not your money. So who cares? Welcome to Making Sense with Mark and Tom. Here are your hosts, Michael Mack and Tom Hellis. Tom talked with Maria Anderson, a senior associate dean from Boston University, about issues that star athletes have to deal with. And she goes and shares a story with us about a certain major leaguer who had issues coping with retirement. I talked to a, a gentleman who was a, a major league pitcher for 14 years and had gone on to a very notable career. And I spoke to him, you know, 20, 30 years after he retired, and he said, I would sell my soul to be on the mound one day a year for the rest of my life. Um, it was just such a difficult thing to let go of and to, to think about life doing something other than uh, their sport that they've given so much of their life to, that it just, it's really... You know, it's a loss. It's a transformation. And in some sense, it's a failure. And it's extremely painful for many of the players. Play action from the 18. One and all. Deep down the field. It is holding by Greg Jennings. The Packers win in overtime. Unbelievable. Brett Favre does it again. When we hear Maria Anderson talk about this former baseball player, it made us think about a guy like Brett Favre and the admitted difficulties that he had with retiring initially from Green Bay. I mean, Mike, 
all ESPN did was talk about Brett Favre for what seemed like months yeah. leading up to his decision that he made after he did initially retire from Green Bay. Yeah, it was almost like... I, I mean, to describe it, it would be like Favre Watch because every moment on SportsCenter or every moment when I turn to uh, my NBC, ABC, or Fox in the morning shows, they would be talking about Brett Favre, coaches flying to Mississippi, players flying, trying to get this this player, this guy to come back and play for their beloved Green Bay Packers. And things just didn't work out. It was like TMZ before TMZ even existed. ESPN was all over it. Ad nauseum, almost, to the point where I said to myself, I can't even watch this anymore. I mean, I would literally turn off the TV or turn the station, get almost just upset at the fact that they were continuing to talk about this guy who was retiring or not retiring or maybe coming back. I just, I couldn't even handle it anymore. I understand how the public is kind of like, you know, make up your mind already, but there's no way I can expect them to understand what I'm going through. I mean, all we heard was him practicing at a high school facility and him throwing to 16, 17-year-olds. And I just have this one image just blanketed in my mind. And it's the private jet in an open lot and it's sitting there. And the top corner of my screen is the time of day that that plane was sitting there. And I'm sitting here like, just sign already. Just make a decision because this guy... Perfect adjective to describe what Brett Favre was doing. It was waffling. And this is something as fans and watchers of the sports with these athletes that maybe it's something that we can't familiarize ourselves with because we want to be able to say, here's my decision. I'm sticking firm and I'm not going to flip-flop. But Brett Favre wasn't that. And it was a tough decision that he had to make. And he took the path on how he did that, and it was difficult for him, and it was very difficult for us to watch. Yeah, and it was his decision, obviously, but there was a lot swirling around with this. He actually talked about how difficult it was to make a decision in March, then how he was feeling later on once he started getting himself into workout shape and workout mode, going to the high school in Mississippi, getting himself up and doing the things that he needed to do to become a football player again. And... You know, he talked about that itch. He talked about that fire or that right, drive. Yeah. And it, it really, those cliches really kept coming back. And I kept saying to myself, man, I remember, I think I must have heard them say he still has that itch at least a thousand times. And it was a little bit to his discredit, to be honest with you. He had the choice and he had the right to make that choice. Right. I am officially retiring from the NFL. And. Green Bay Packers, and uh, as much as I've thought about what I would say, and I hope that every penny that they've spent on me, they know it was money well spent. But then he had an interview with David Letterman where he said, quote, I mean, it was never a clear-cut decision. I can't expect people to understand I think people have all faced decisions at times where you never know. I think it's one of those things where if you do have the opportunity to retire from somewhere and leave something, and then a couple months later you say to yourself, you know what, maybe I made the wrong decision. You know, he second-guessed himself. Yeah. He, he talked about that as well. And the fact that, yeah, 
He knew he was going to second-guess himself. Have you ever been there? Have you ever experienced you saying, maybe I made the wrong decision, maybe I'd like to go back, and you just didn't have the opportunity? I know I have. I mean, I've gone to certain restaurants, I should have got the brisket. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time, he had the opportunity to make a, a decision to change. Right. And again, the controversy that was swirling around that whole entire scenario between Brett Favre and the upper management of Green Bay, the lack of trust between those two uh, entities really created that divide, which made what happened next an even easier decision for Green Bay yeah, and Brett Favre. Yeah, because Favre wanted offensive linemen to be re-signed if he was going to come back. He wanted Ted Thompson to interview coach Steve Mariucci, and then he felt like the Green Bay Packers are short $1.4 million from signing Randy Moss, even to the point where it wasn't something that Green Bay was able to bend on. Favre said, I'll go ahead and I'll shave off some of my contract earnings so that we can bring in Randy Moss because he knew how much of a difference maker that he was. And when Favre saw that, those three examples said, well, there's no trust anymore. How could I or how would I want to come back and play for this organization who clearly has my decision making in the tail end of theirs? They, they don't they don't consider how I feel about a certain situation and they just want to move on in their direction. He said several times during interviews, that's OK. And I understand that. The one thing that really stuck with me, and I think that this is something that is the typifying point. He kept talking about how they were looking at his legacy and how they wanted his legacy to remain intact. Yet, they were relegating him to a backup role, which is something he almost had like a disdain for. Like When he talked about it, it was as if it was the worst thing that could possibly happen. Yeah, and Brett Favre retiring with Green Bay, then unretiring, led him to being traded to the Jets. Brett Favre traded from the Green Bay Packers to the New York Jets for a conditional fourth-round pick. To a certain degree, I really don't know what I'm getting into. And it's not, and I'm talking about from a team standpoint, what can I do in a short amount of time to get this team where we want to go? Several players in the Jets, including former running back Thomas Jones, came out and said, quote, you're jeopardizing the whole team because you're having a bad day. And the way that Favre played football. Tom, what was a famous line that people called him? A gunslinger. Right. So that's Brett Favre day in, day out. And he retired again February 11, 2009, saying it's the real deal. Saying he was unwilling to have surgery on a torn bicep. We all know. Here we go again. Is he done playing? Uh-uh. He's not done playing. And it's like, going back to Tom's point. I'm tired of this. Like, make a decision and stay with it. But, T, we know that that didn't happen. Yeah, and again, it was me just kind of getting sick and tired of seeing it over and over and over again. I I just thought to myself, this is so overblown and so overdone by every sports network, including ESPN. Every single spot that you looked, he was there, and you couldn't get away from him. And, you know... He even told ESPN at one point that there's no way he'll play in another NFL game, and that was in February of 2009. So when you have a guy that can't make a decision, it makes it very difficult to sit there and say, well, we can trust what you're going to say this time around. It's kind of like when 
a college coach says, I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm right here. And then next week, he's gone. You get that call from a Big Ten school, and you're like, oh, okay, sorry. Right. See you. And, you know, you understand it, but at the same time, you can't trust it. So I just think it's one of those things where once it got to that point, and it was the second time around, you thought, man, is this going to happen again? Right. And it was to the point where Favre, who had an interview with HBO back in June of the same year, 2009, he said, yeah, I know people are really tired of it in response to him having surgery on his torn bicep. And he was going to come back and play football again. And he ended up suiting up for the Minnesota Vikings. It sure didn't take long for Brett Favre fever to hit Minnesota. You can't tell me that this wasn't a personal beef that Favre had with Green Bay because he said, I'm going to sign with Minnesota. He was a free agent. He got released. I'm going to sign with Minnesota. I'm going to walk into Lambeau. I'm going to get the W and show Green Bay that, wow, we really made a terrible decision and moving on from me. You know, I, I knew I could play. I knew this was a good football team. I know the Packers are a good, a good football team, but it had nothing to do with trying to prove myself to anyone. I think it was a calculated decision. I think that it made sense to him at the time. Um, I also think that when... You go to a team like Minnesota, which is such a hated rival. I think maybe the only other hated rival they have is Chicago. I don't know if it would have been worse if he was with Chicago other than Minnesota, but Minnesota had given him that opportunity. Yeah, he wanted to stick it to him. There's no doubt in my mind about that. But he had the right, and he felt in his mind that it was justified. So is that part of his legacy, that he said, I need to go and do something to show them? Maybe. I think a lot of guys think that way. It's yeah. just, I don't know how many actually go through with it. Yeah, we see a lot of players who move on from their franchise that they've been with for so many years, and they come back and you're like, wouldn't it be fine if he signed with a team that would be considered as a rival? And then they play that team, and we're using that as the buildup. It's creating animosity for that, that, that matchup. The Bengals' latest happy camper, quarterback Carson Palmer, is giving the Bengals an ultimatum. Trade him or he'll retire. We expected him to perform here. If he's going to walk away from his commitment, we aren't going to reward him for doing it. Carson Palmer saw what Brett Favre did. He saw that Brett Favre got out of a situation, yes, through a trade, but it still showed him that by trying to retire from a team he didn't want to be with, he held power. He had that one card that he could use to get out of a situation he did not want to be in. Did he get what he wanted in the end? Maybe not. Maybe he didn't want to go to Oakland, but he got out. And now look where he's at. With Arizona, possibly Super Bowl contending Arizona. At the end of the day, players are looking at these retirements now, and it's not about are they going to retire at an older age? Are they going to retire and be done with the game? They're using it to their advantage. Some players are even retiring at a younger age now because they want out of the game because they think something bad's going to happen to them. Everything we've seen up to this point when it comes to concussions and CTE and all of the hardships that all of the older players have to go through trying to get disability benefits, trying to get through the day because of how hard it is for them. Things have changed. Mindsets have changed. Nothing made that more clear than when Chris Borland, one year in the league, decided to call it quits. Well, I think it was a, a culmination of a number of things. Um, it's a unique decision to me. 
I'd done a lot of research um, of what I had experienced in my past, um, projected to what I would have to do to be the linebacker I wanted to be, um, and for me it wasn't worth the risk. Um, not to say it's a certainty. Um, I could be wrong. I hope I'm not. I hope I am wrong, honestly. But uh, for me, it was, it was the right decision. And then you have a player like Barry Sanders. He was poised to be the all-time leading rusher in NFL history, but he decided to walk away. The team was going in a different direction, and he said he didn't want to play for anybody else. It was almost as if he had done this before. Like when he used to hand the ball off to the ref after he scored a touchdown. Been there. Done that. But it left fans all around the league, and especially in Detroit, asking, why? Um, just that, that burning desire to play. Um, you know, left. Um, I still love the game, and, you know... Um, there's a fine line there, um, and um, but um, as years passed, um, I realized that that was the right thing for me to do, um, and it was a tough decision, you know, it was definitely a tough decision, um, because it wasn't because I didn't, you know, love the game, but it's, you know, there's a difference between loving the game and actually playing the game every day, and, you know, the business part of it and, and being involved in it, um, and let's not forget the, the part that I played for 10 great years, it had a great run, and um, and so for me, that's that's going to last a lifetime. Well, it's interesting in in the the study that I did among former professional football and baseball players. It wasn't being recognized; it was feeling important or feeling like they mattered. In fact, I had a few folks that I talked to that really were tired of being recognized, didn't want to do it autographs anymore, and especially the ones that had been reti retired for a long time and couldn't figure out why anyone would still want their autographs. Um, but it was really feeling like they mattered. So when I said that money wasn't an issue, what I meant is that in the transition away from, you know, the central identity as, you know, center fielder for the New York Yankees to something else, it wasn't the dollars. It wasn't the, the contract. It wasn't the earning power. It was really needing to feel important. It's hard to imagine a Hall of Fame player like Barry Sanders not feeling important on a team that was trying to make a transition. But it was clear he was frustrated with losing. Another Detroit Lion that was frustrated was wide receiver Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson, the Detroit Lions' all-time leading receiver, has confirmed his retirement from professional football. Uh, I, I think it was much more injury-related with Calvin, uh, more more so than it was with Barry. Barry was definitely a more personal decision. He was tired of playing in Detroit. He was tired of the losing. He didn't want to go to learning yet another offense. Uh, they had switched offenses three times in his last five years. Uh, he hated having a fullback in front of him, uh, and that was something that Bobby Ross, the coach at the time, was, was, was hell-bent on keeping. Uh, and, and when they changed things over, he just decided he was done. Uh, he had made enough money. He had gotten enough personal acclaim. Uh, he was a very, like Calvin, he was a, a soft-spoken guy. He wasn't necessarily interested in, in being a, a star uh, and having that, you know, big persona and everything. So in that, in that sense, they're a little bit similar because this was one of those deals. I think everybody knew that there were going to be some changes in the Lions organization uh, afterwards. Uh, although if you listen to Calvin and, and if you believe uh, people who talk to him, he made this decision last summer uh, and kept it very quiet, kept it, you know, close knit, you know, a few people sort of knew, but they kind of wanted to see what would really happen. And uh, it just, 
his physical ability, uh, he, he, he's very tired of, of the, the practice part of the, the thing. He has back issues. He has foot issues. His, his fingers are completely mangled. Uh, it's hard to get motivated to practice every day. Uh, and, and you know, does Detroit situation of, you know, missing the playoffs every year, but two in his, you know, nine year or 10 year career, does that play into it? Yeah, it probably does play into it, uh, more than a little bit, but, uh, it, it's a lot easier to keep going if you're winning. And that was Jeff Risden who writes for realgm.com. He was breaking down the similarities between wide receiver Calvin Johnson and former all-time great running back Barry Sanders. You know, fear has a big role in our lives. Some let fear dictate choices, while others use it to their advantage. Since the dawn of sports, athletes have stared that same fear in the face and overcome it for a chance at being great. One thing that is for sure is that all face father time at some point. Some try to defy its inevitability, while others accept it humbly. The media-driven public sees an athlete who is at the end of a 15-year career as being an elder statesman. That's at the ripe age of 37. I mean, we hear athletes like Bruce Smith who play for a decade and a half say there isn't a day that goes by where he does not hurt. Or you have a player like journeyman outfielder David Murphy who says he's okay with retirement as long as he makes the call. Not too many players have that luxury. Mike's right. Most players, they don't have that luxury. Most hang on too long while a few they walk away much earlier than expected. But every once in a while, you have a player that just has a sense for knowing when it's time. I'm retired. Is that good enough? Which camera you want me to look into? This one? me. I'm done. I'm, I'm not playing football anymore. Finally, I think we'd be remiss not to end with the passing of a legend. Muhammad Ali. The greatest of all time. He was an icon not just for boxing, but for all sports. Even he had his issues with his own retirement. One thing that has stuck with me the most amongst the many outpourings from all media outlets is an interview he did where he answered a question from a boy in a crowd about what he would do now that he was retired. He talked honestly about his faults at that point, like he often did. He also talked about religion, as he often did. The one thing that stuck with me the most was that he wanted above all else to help others around him. He was aware of his fame, and he wanted to use that to make things better for people that needed help. I'd just like to thank you for coming through on that, just like you did so many times in the ring. Thank you for joining us here at Making Sense with Mike and Tom on Storyball.org. Please make sure you listen to the next episode, where we cover the emotional and psychological effects of how an athlete retires and what he goes through or she goes through in those situations. Thank you. You've been listening to the Making Sense with Mike and Tom podcast on Storyball.org. You can also find them on Twitter at MSW Sports. Listen to this and many other podcasts by searching Storyball on SoundCloud, Stitcher and Archie. Thank you.
just been thinking about retiring. There's nothing else for me to fight. I told her, well, I'm going to retire. I'm going to hold the title for a few months. I don't, they took my title unjustly. I told you, I'm the real champion. I told you, I'm the champion of the world. All of you bow. All of my critics crawl. All of you suckers who write the Rain magazine. Boxing knows there. All of you suckers bow because the stage was set. You made him great. You made him a bad Joe Lewis. You made him a hard puncher. But I want everybody from this moment on to recognize me as the scholar of boxing. If you want to know any damn thing about boxing, don't go to no boxing experts in Las Vegas. Don't go to no Jimmy the Greek. Come to Muhammad Ali. I am the man.